All right, glad you're here. Glad you're with us online. Glad to have the kids. Really glad if it's your first time with us. Uh, you may not know if you really uh, fit in, if this is your thing or not, but I'll tell you, I think we have a lot more in common than you may realize because we all go through the same kinds of temptations and struggles and pressures. And you may be feeling some pressure right now because life is full of pressures. Maybe pressure to be a good parent, to be a good student, to be a good employee, maybe pressure to do things you know you shouldn't do, or pressure to look like, dress like, act like other people, or maybe the pressure not to look like, act like, and dress like other people. So we started this series called Re-Entry, about how we're re-entering this new reality, this new world, and how you know, this is an opportunity not to settle for good enough, not to be seduced by that any longer, but to, to cry out to God for more, to leave behind that old life, to enter into this new life, to live this full life. And if you missed any of the previous messages, you can check those out online. But once you cry out to God for that new full life and leave the old life behind, then you are going to experience some serious pressure. Now, I had never heard of this term before, but it, it, have you heard of Max Q? Max Q is a term used in the space program that uh, roughly a minute after launch of any spacecraft, it experiences this moment of intense pressure, what they call the maximum dynamic pressure, or Max Q for short. It's this most critical point when the most stress is exerted on this craft. So when it came to the space shuttle program, for example, and they spent millions of dollars and you know years of hard labor and mathematical equations and hours and hours of hard you know physical manual labor to get this thing ready so it could go into space and do incredible things all of that hinged on whether or not that craft could withstand the pressure of that moment of max q maximum pressure and in a book by Stuart Hall and Andy Stanley some years ago they, they talked about how Max Q is a really good analogy for what we go through as Christians. We come into this faith and sometimes we're not prepared for the kind of pressure that we're going to face, right? And, and we crack under the pressure. And that's why even some of the best of people with the best of intentions, their marriages end up cracking. Their relationships get broken down. They start treating people horribly because they were not prepared for the kind of pressure that they would face. You know, it comes when... You get that look from that woman who's not your wife. It, it comes when you feel the urge to uh, fudge the numbers on that expense report to, in order to save your job. That pressure comes when everybody just seems to disagree with you and thinks you're a horrible person because you agree with what God says. And that, that moment happens when you're so angry with your parents or your, your children or your friends and you, you're, you're not ready to deal with that kind of pressure. You haven't built up the kind of resistance to withstand it. So that those moments of Max Q come from families, relationships. They come for your faith, and it can, it can absolutely crack you up. You're either going to hold up or you're going to crack up under the pressure. So to, to kind of test the idea of pressure, years ago I found this funny, that NASA developed a gun specifically for launching, shooting dead chickens, you know, to, to simulate the force of birds flying in the air, they would have these horrific collisions with airliners, you know, military jets, even space shuttles. And so to simulate that maximum velocity that a bird could fly at, you know, they, they blew it out of a gun really quick. And when the British engineers heard about that, they wanted to test that same 
thing out on their new high-speed trains. And so the NASA engineer sent one of these chicken guns across the Atlantic, and the Brits tried it out on their very first attempt at the simulation. They launched the dead chicken out of the gun against the windshield of one of these trains, and what was supposed to be a shatterproof windshield was just smashed to smithereens. And that dead chicken actually went even further, blasted through the control console, split apart the engineer's you know, chair, and embedded in the back wall of the cabin. And so when the Brits informed the Americans of this horrific, <laughs> these disastrous results, they asked for some suggestions. And the NASA engineers only had to send them a one-line memo. Defrost the chicken. <laughs> well, here's what I want you to get. I don't want you to be the one that gets hit by the chicken. I want you to be the chicken. I want you to be that, that frozen chicken that goes out and smashes through, breaks through to that full life that Jesus has for you. Instead of being the one that's shattered, that's destroyed, by the frozen chickens of this world, right? Coming at you all, to, all the time. So right before Jesus is arrested, let's, let's go back and see what he has to say about this. He is with his disciples, having his last conversations with them, having this prayer for them. We read about in John 17. And he says, Father, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. So my prayer isn't that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So Jesus is saying, I didn't come to take you out of this world, but to protect you from the temptations, the pressures of this world. And again, as we're re-entering this new world, this new reality, uh, it's presented some challenges and opportunities maybe for us to really learn what it means to be in the world but not of the world. That we're really maybe seeing how this is a reset for, for withstanding the pressures that we're going through right now. To learn how to not just stay in our church buildings but to really be out there all the time being the church, influencing, impacting others like a bunch of frozen chickens. You know, here we are, we're so concerned right now about protecting our physical safety, and rightly so, uh, taking steps to stay healthy by distancing ourselves from others, and we're doing that right now. There's plenty of room for everybody spread out. You don't have to be close to anybody. But how can we re-enter this new reality by still being with people and yet keeping ourselves separated. And I'm talking about spiritually now. Keeping ourselves spiritually healthy while not remaining physically distanced from people who are far from God. Listen, Jesus doesn't want us to remain physically distant from people. And I know we got, we got to do a little bit of that right now. But what I'm saying is to remove ourselves, isolate ourselves from the rest of the world and just stay huddled in and click together with our Christian friends. We need to be engaging with people so that actually we are being spiritually contagious to them. That they, they, they get close enough to us spiritually that they want what we've got and we, we can infect them with the good news of the gospel. They catch what we've got. That's what it means to, to be a, a contagious Christian, somebody who is 
able to pass along their faith to other people. Now, I know that's, that can be confusing on how to do that. And the early Christians were confused about that too. That's why the Apostle Paul writes to the Christians in the city of Corinth, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Now, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers and idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. So it's kind of humorous that uh, Christians thought, well, once I become a believer, I can't be around those kind of people anymore, the kind of people I used to be, unbelievers, non-Christians. And Paul says, no, 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 you got it completely backwards. You need to be around those people. You need to be an influence and a witness to, to people who aren't believers. What I'm saying is, don't hang out with those fake hypocritical Christians who don't act like Christ at all, right? Which is something we have in common with the rest of the world. Nobody wants to be around those kind of people, the fakers, the posers who, who really aren't living their faith at all. So here we are. We don't live to be physically separated. Really, as Christians, we're called to be spiritually separated. Yes, we're going to be with people in some sense, but we're going to be separate from them, different from them spiritually. And when we're with them, it's for a purpose. Ultimately, it's to win as many people as possible to take them to heaven with us because that's what love does. We care about people. But here's what happens. Instead of winning them, instead of influencing them, we let them influence us and we crack under the pressure. So look, if we're going to go on this mission of being world changers, of, of being people who carry out the Great Commission and influence others, we got to be prepared for the pressure of that mission. So listen to Peter, one of Jesus' strongest disciples. In his first letter, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, so you're in the world but you're not of it, to abstain from those sinful desires. Separate yourselves from those things which war against your soul, and do more than that, live such good lives among the pagans, non-Christians, non-believers, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So before Jesus comes back, he's saying, what, what ought to be a real encouragement and win for you is when people look at you and say, why? They ask, why are you the way you are? Why are you so nice to that jerk at work nobody likes? Why are you and your spouse able to withstand so many struggles? Why don't you get drunk like everybody else here or, you know, like your other relatives? Why are you going into neighborhoods you don't even live in to go serve there? So not only do, do we separate ourselves spiritually from the world in terms of our behavior, we... we we don't want to uh, give in to those spiritual desires, those sinful desires. We're, we're going to be different in that way. But we're going to live such good lives that even though they might accuse us of doing wrong, they don't agree with what we're all about, they can't help but notice, man, there's something about them. There's something attractive about that, magnetic about that. They got something I don't got, and I want some of that. So let me give you our big idea, which is living by godly standards allows you to survive intense pressure. you got to have some standards. Standards are like rules or like a fence. I mean, think about your dog running around in your backyard. If it's a fenced-in area, he's free to run wherever he wants, but he's also free not to run out into the street, right? And we don't like fences. We don't like rules. 
We like to be free, which is why a lot of people say, I don't like God, because he's all about rules. And what we have to do is set them straight and say, no, Christianity is not about rules. It's about a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. No amount of rule keeping is going to make us right with God. No matter how many commandments we obey, we still break a bunch. We're lawbreakers, and that's why rules can't save us. We need a savior. We are saved by grace, not by law, not by rule keeping. But listen, uh, just because we're saved by grace doesn't mean that we can go out and do whatever we want to do. That's not really freedom. That really is something that enslaves me, that entraps me, that cages me up. Because it. think about the way this works. His grace is what finally frees me to be what God made me to be. To actually live the way God intended me to live. He gives me a whole different reason. A whole different motivation. For living the way he intended. Which is, it's the best way. It's God's way. And on top of that, he gives me a power that I didn't have before. Through the Holy Spirit to to actually live the right way. So I want to live God's way. Because it's right. It's good. And I want to live his way because he loves me. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll what? You'll keep my commands. So because he loves me, I'm going to love him. I'm going to obey him because i got to trust that he knows the best way for me to live. Think about this. Who really is freer? A teenager with a baby or a teenager without a baby? Who's really free? Who's really free? The guy who tells lies or the guy who doesn't? I mean, it's a guy telling lies has to live a double life and cover up his lies all the time. Who's really free? Who's really free? Maybe you know somebody who is suffering through lung cancer or has lost a loved one uh, to a drunk driver. Ask them which they prefer, the freedom to smoke, the freedom to drink, or the freedom to live. Who's really free? See, the truth is that those behaviors actually restrict our freedom. They put us in that cage. They, they prevent us from enjoying the life that God intended for us. It's people who put up standards in their lives that are able to enjoy their freedom because they protect us from those kinds of things. Standards became like the, the frozen chickens, you know, that, that, that help us to withstand the pressures of this world, to break through to that new life, to influence others. Think about when NASA is uh, putting together those rockets and space shuttles, right? You think they're having conversations like, how, what are the cheapest materials we can use and, and get as close as we can to the breaking point? No, absolutely not. And you shouldn't think that way either. Paul writes in Ephesians 5, don't even go near there. Don't, don't see how far you can get and still be a Christian. He says, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness but rather expose them so here nasa and and even more recently spacex they again put millions of dollars and millions of or i don't know how many hours into these these rockets and and vehicles not waiting to see if they're going to withstand the pressure once they're already out there they've got to prepare in advance for that pressure to make sure it's going to make it through and the same thing is true for us. I've got to make a predetermined decision about how I'm going to handle situations and temptations before I get there. 
not while I'm already in it, because then it's too late. Right? I'm going to crack under the pressure. I'm going I'm to get tempted beyond what I can bear. And I know God has promised that he won't let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. But that means we don't deliberately put ourselves in places and situations where we're going to have such heavy pressure on us that we are more likely to break under it, to give in to it. So I can't wait to get into a dangerous situation. i got to decide ahead of time what I'm going to do so that I don't get into that situation. Don't look at me and think like, oh, well, Brett never breaks any rules. Oh, I've broken rules, and I'm not going to detail those for you right now. But I, I'll bet you that I have broken some rules that you have not broken, and you have broken rules that I have not broken, right? We all have our areas of temptation and where we're, we're liable to crack under the pressure. Here's an important principle for all of us when developing standards. The more dangerous the environment, the more rules you need. Think about that. If you know you're going to get into one of those pressure situations, you've got to have those standards in place ahead of time. How do you come up with those standards? Great question. Let's talk about a formula. Here it is. A biblical principle or command plus wisdom equals a standard. All right? Think about in terms of like a speed limit. You've got a, you got a command. You've got a principle. 55. Speed limit is 55. But let's say you're going around a curve. A curve is coming up and the speed limit doesn't decrease. There's no warning sign about it. Wisdom, if you add wisdom, you'll say, okay, I'm going to slow down around that curve or else I may not make it. I may crack up under that kind of pressure. So here's the idea. You start with a biblical command or principle like the speed limit. You add some wisdom to it like, okay, I'm going to slow down when I, when I get to a curve. That gives you the standard. Let's make it real now. Let's, let's use some real examples, areas where you're going to experience this. Let's talk about physical relations. All right, I'm going to be delicate here because I know that you know, the, the whole family is, is together and some may not be ready for this kind of information. You understand? But here we go. We've got a biblical command and principle. We, we're going to add some wisdom to it. We get the standard. What, all right, so what's the biblical command? What's the principle? Here's one, Hebrews 13, 4. God says, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. All right, got the command. Let's add some wisdom to it, to the situations that you're going to encounter. You see, I've already decided ahead of time that I'm not going to cheat on my wife. It's just not going to happen because I'm not going to allow myself to be put in a situation where there's too much pressure. So my standards are I'm never going to be alone in a building or in a car with a woman who's not my wife. I'm never going to be going out for a meal or coffee with somebody of the opposite sex alone. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be flirtatious. I'm not going to have conversations about marital struggles with somebody of the opposite sex. You might add, well, I'm not going to dress provocatively to draw attention to myself that way. Or if you're single, you say, I'm not going to be alone in a house uh, with somebody of the opposite sex where the pressure is going to be too great to give in to temptation. Let's talk about entertainment as well you know whether you're married or not you say I am not going to expose myself to entertainment that is designed to arouse I am not going to go to bars and clubs where people are paid to satisfy my prurient interests okay I'm not, I'm not going to scan around the internet when I'm alone and restless I'm not even going to watch movies and programs where there's too much skin shown am I being clear enough you understand there's some standards I got to set and you can make fun of that and you say, well, that's going too far. That's, that's too prudish. I don't care. I'm, I, look, if it's, it's not too far if it saves your marriage or if it protects your future marriage and family. Look, I don't have to worry about losing my freedom to live without lies and without guilt 
and without disease and without betraying my wife and letting down my kids and shaming my whole church. Don't have to worry about that. I'm free. What about your friendships? Let's use the formula. Biblical command principle plus wisdom equals a standard. What's the Bible say? Well, here's one principle, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Isn't that true? The people you choose to hang out with are going to determine in a great measure the direction and the outcome of your life. So choose them carefully. Doesn't mean you can't be with friends with non-Christians. Absolutely. You should be around people like that. But you've already set some standards ahead of time so you know what you're going to allow and not allow yourself to do around those friends. So some wisdom would say, I'm not going to sin to get a friend or to keep a friend. And I'm going to let my friends know that I'm a Christian and invite them to talk with me about Jesus regularly. And I'm going to choose some friends who are further ahead of me in our faith so that they can be an example to me. I can learn from them. Okay, let's talk about another area. How about drinking? What's the biblical principle about drinking? Here's one in Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk on wine, or we could add whiskey or weed or whatever, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Because we all know alcohol is dangerous and alcoholism has devastating effects. And so, look, if you have any kind of problem with alcohol, then you add wisdom to that and you say, all right, I'm not even going to put myself in a situation. Uh, why would I go sit at a bar? Why would I bring home a six-pack if I know that I'm liable to crack under that pressure? I'm, I'm, I'm going to decide ahead of time when I can drink, where I'm going to drink, how much I can drink, all right? And I've done the same thing, except I don't have to have a bunch of rules about alcohol because I only have one. I don't drink. I just don't. I just made that decision from the time I was a teenager. I'm just not. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be a total abstainer to be a godly person, all right? I'm, you've got freedom to drink without getting drunk. What I'm saying is it doesn't matter to me. I could be in a room full of people drinking. It's not going to faze me. They could all be making fun of me for not drinking. Doesn't, doesn't matter a bit to me. Don't care. I, I'm saying I've already made the decision ahead of time that I'm never going to even put myself in a position where I can cross the line into drunkenness or even lead something lead to alcoholism. It's not going to happen. Now, does that restrict me, my freedom? I don't know. You might think so, but I don't think I've missed out on a thing because I'll tell you what, I'm free to never even have to worry about acting like a fool because I drank too much. I'm never going to have to worry about whether I say or do something abusive to my wife or kids because I've been drinking too much. I never have to worry about getting sick or hungover or getting pulled over by a police officer and running a breathalyzer on me because I'm never going to drive while I'm, I'm drinking because I don't even drink. You and your family are never going to have to worry about encountering me on the road because I've been driving drunk. It's not going to happen. Now, you might encounter me driving while eating a Taco Bell quesadilla. I'll admit that. That's true. But I, and I never even have to worry about spending a bunch of money on alcohol. I can spend that money on much better things like more quesadillas at Taco Bell. I'm just saying, I have freedom. I don't have to worry about any of that kind of stuff. So we could talk about all kinds of areas. We could talk about money. You know, the, okay, what's the biblical principle? Is about being a good steward of what God has given you, managing God's resources well, adding wisdom to that that keeps you out of debt, falling into all those financial traps of overspending, of wastefulness, of gambling, uh, of, of uh, all kinds of, of ridiculous things that people do with their money. I'm not going to... I'm free to be content. I'm free to be generous. 
We could talk about a whole bunch of other areas. But listen, anybody who has made the decision to follow Christ, to leave the old life behind, to receive the new life, and to want that full, abundant life, you're going to come under pressure. And it might come from your family, your relatives. It might come from your boyfriend, your girlfriend, whatever. Any, any people, the, the, the world is going to pressure you. You've got to be prepared for it. it it's it's going to come for you. Don't wait until it's too late and you get frozen chickened. You be the frozen chicken. You break through to that new life. Let me repeat that big idea. Living by godly standards allows you to survive that intense pressure. So let me give you some homework this week. Will you do this? Go home and think about setting some standards in different areas. Maybe you'll just start with the five areas we talked about here. Think about your standards for physical relationships, for friendships, for entertainment, for drinking, for money. Whatever it is, write those down. And even share them with your kids or your parents or your friends or your group. And then pray about how God can give you a win. So you're able to answer people when they ask, why are you the way you are? Why are you different? Why do you do this or not do that? And if you're someone who has yet to say yes to Jesus, you've never done that yet. You, you haven't left behind that old life yet to receive the new life he offers, the full life. Can I just ask, why not? Why haven't you? What are you waiting for? Are you waiting for a feeling? Are you waiting for a sign? Faith doesn't work like that. Faith is, is accepting what God offers you. It's agreeing with what God says about you and saying, I want to repent of my past, of, of my wrongs. I want to embrace the new life, the grace that he offers me. I want to be baptized to experience that new life in Christ. And so as always, we offer you the invitation to make that a real step today. To reach out and contact us, to text that number 734-304-7248. Or if it's easier, just to email us next at southpointccc.com. Because somebody would love to get back with you as quickly as they can. Answer your questions. Help you figure out your next step closer to God. To be baptized. Whatever it is, we want to be there for you during this time. So... We're going to pray first, though, and we're going to pray about a few different things, so let's do that together. Lord, we're praying for all who are sick right now, that they would be healed, that you would protect us all from, from getting sick, Lord. We're praying for those who are grieving, that they'd be comforted, that, that everybody would look to you for their, their, their help and their hope. God, we're asking for a vaccine, a cure to, to be sped up to us. We're praying for our nation, really the whole world that's just in turmoil. And we know there's never really going to be true peace until you're, you're invited in and you're, you're the one that reigns over us. But we pray for even just a, a measure of peace right now, that you would strengthen us as your people to be a force for good, to stand for what's right and true, and not be afraid, not be ashamed of the gospel, which is the answer. We pray that the, this reset we're going through right now, turn things upside down, that you'll use it, Lord, to help us re-examine the standards we've been living by. For, for us to leave behind the old ways and to find the fullness of life that Jesus offers. Not to lower our standards, God. Not to settle for less. Let this be an opportunity that we can show the difference Jesus really makes. To proclaim and, and demonstrate he's the one who gives us freedom. Who transforms hearts and makes life better. Not, not easier but better. 
And I'm praying right now for men and women and young people to turn to you in faith and repentance and make the best decision of their lives to be saved and not wait until it's too late, but to right now decide to follow Jesus in whose name we pray it. Amen. So I hope you're going to be back with us next week as we continue in reentry. Either online join us or in person would be awesome. Stay connected with us throughout the week. Invite a friend. And as you're exiting today, keep that social distance. If you need to talk or pray with somebody, go to rooms A, B, C, or D out in the lobby. We will see you back next week either here, there, or in the air.